Good morning, church. Good to see you guys. You know, this, uh, this week during the fast was great for uh, me. We, it was definitely a, a time where I got to connect with how needy I am. I, I mean, I don't know about you. I only have to go a few hours and I'm just in a completely different headspace. <laughs> so it really helped me just rely upon the spirit. You know, that night in our family group, we had a taco bar. And trying to have a discussion after fasting all day, eating a ton of tacos. I mean, some of the brothers were just like, oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> And, but we did have eight kids, five and under, at our family group on Wednesday. And so they had enough energy for all of us. <laughs> it was a blast. And, and we were dreaming together about having God's heart for mission. And, and we said, what do we want to do about it? And so we're having a game night a few weeks from now in our family group. And one of our sisters uh, said something I hadn't seen before. I love it. Afterwards, she was sending text messages, you know, text out to all of us about... Um, you know, you know, about the date and the time and the details. And then she said, B-Y-O-V, bring your own visitor. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. And so we're really excited. You know, what, what we're doing as a church during this series on mission, we're inviting all the family groups to have an outreach-focused event in your family group over the next month or two, whether that's serving the poor, whether that's going to a park and having people come play a game with you and sharing the gospel with them or having people over your house, whatever it is, we don't just want to come here and let it go in one ear and out the other, but we want to take it with us, let it change us, and then go back into the world and bring Jesus to the world. Amen? So today we're continuing in our series on the mission, and we're going to be focusing on eyes that see. And, and last week we talked about God's heart for humanity, and then, but it's not just enough for, you know, we see that heart in him, but we want to adopt that same heart and then see the world with the same eyes. And so uh, every week, though, before we jump in, we, we're going to have someone share their story. And just to remember how precious it is that this gift God has given us of grace. And be able to hear people's conversion stories about how God rescues men and women out of the world. So I'm going to invite Lee Laguerre up here with me. This is Lee Laguerre. And... And Lee, he just moved here from Miami, uh, and he's going to be serving in the ministry with our campus staff down at, in the city schools, Georgia Tech and Georgia State, and so we're really fired up about that. And the thing I really appreciated about Lee is that, you know, like three months ago, Lee didn't want to go into the ministry. Oh. No. That wasn't for you. That was for the, you know. <laughs> That's better. All right. And so Lee, Lee didn't want to go in the ministry. I wanted to be close as I talked about you, but the mic isn't going to let me, bro. It's all right. Um, and then, but over the last several months, Lee felt a strong call from God for him to go in the ministry. And, and so he graduated from FIU a couple weeks ago. And then he, graduation's good, right? Teens? No, actually, they're all up there. Graduate. Okay. Um, and then he, but he left his family, he left his friends, he left his girlfriend in Miami to move up here. And when I asked him, you know, why are you willing to do that? I just appreciated your answer, bro. You talked about wanting to be a man of faith. And that if God is calling you to take a big leap of faith, you want to be the man that responds to trust God in those moments. So I'm so inspired for you moving up here and going to the ministry. But Lee, we're so glad to get to know you. And he's going to share his story with us this morning. Sorry, I hope I'm not in trouble. I was told not to touch it, but I, I had to. Um, but like Jordan said, I am Lee or Lee son, whichever rolls off the tongue, better for you. Um, so a little bit about me, I loved shaved ice. 
So if you ever want to take me out, now that you know me, shave the ice, I'm there, I'm for it. Um, but yeah, I did just graduate from FIU, the original Panthers. I know I'm in Georgia State now, but it's okay. It's okay, I'll get acquainted. So I grew up with my dad, who was a Haitian man, which I love it. Um, so if we got any Haitians in the building, woo, 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 uh, the connection is there. And so we, we, you know, we went to church, you know, of course, he was a bit religious, but to me, I was like, I'll just do my own thing. Uh, I want to be more independent. And so independent to me meant doing my own thing, doing what I want to do. And so that lifestyle was just recurring a lot in my life. And so just to fast forward a little bit, I got to college and I felt like that I've tried every new form of way of doing something and I was like, I'm 20, what's next? Head scratch, what's next? I don't know what's next, I don't know what to do, what, what should I try out? Um, and so I had this huge addiction of marijuana, I loved it for some reason at that time, and I just couldn't get over it, I couldn't stop, no matter what I did, 30 day sobriety, I couldn't even last a day. And so one of my close friends from high school, he, even wasn't even my close friend, but he became my closest friend now. He baptized someone, and I saw this on Instagram, and I was like, maybe that's what I need. Maybe I need to try the way of Jesus to stop smoking marijuana. So I hit him up, I'm like, hey bro, I wanna study the Bible to quit smoking weed. And that was my thought process. But as I studied the Bible, you know, it was mind blowing. You learn so much. And the things that I've learned, the things that I saw, like to this day, I can stand up here and say it's been about five years since I last smoked. Come on, bro. And it's only because. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's only because of Jesus. And I'm so grateful that I could stand here today and be able to be a whole nother person. Like typically people say, I want to do a 360 change. I want it to be so radical. I want it to be a 720 change. Like, no one would notice me. That's how much Jesus would change me. And I was so grateful because his love for this world is radical. And you can see it. It's vivid. It's alive and active like the scriptures say. And being here and knowing that I am changed because of Jesus, not only because he can set me free from smoking, but he can set me free and fill me forever. And I wouldn't have to run to things that are empty, that won't fulfill me, that'll fill me in a second, and then I'll be down in a deeper rabbit hole later. Um, and I'm so glad to get to know you all. I'm excited to be in Atlanta, to be a part of the campus ministry, and I can't wait to get to know you all. Awesome. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. You can flip me your Bibles over there. Luke chapter 10. And what we're going to see here is we're going to be reading it from a story with Jesus where he's talking about three different men and they all saw the same person and yet only one of them saw with the eyes, that only one of them had eyes that see, that saw what God saw. So we're going to be able to learn from him to adopt this heart from God in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Thank you, Lee, for sharing how you love shaved ice, bro. Appreciate that, you know. Lee, apparently at one point, Lee was a stand-up comedian, so thank you for bringing humor, you know. Sometimes the crowd doesn't laugh at my jokes, so hopefully yours are better, bro. <laughs> Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But now a Samaritan, as he traveled he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, so this is an amazing passage, the Good Samaritan story. Uh, for a lot of us, we're familiar with this, but there's three men that all saw the same person on the side of the road, right? The first one, it was a priest. You know, he's the pastor. He's the evangelist. He's the one, everyone, the holy guy. And yet, when he sees him, he walks straight on by. And then a Levite goes by. That's like the one tribe that, that kind of ran the temple and things like that. So that's like the kid's kingdom serving. It's the family group leader. And then, but when he sees him, he walks straight on by. And then you have the Samaritan. Now, if you're new to Christianity, uh, Samaria was right north of Judea. I guess I should have had a map. But they, they, there's a lot of hatred between the two. There was a lot of division. There was a lot of segregation. And uh, they, they, were, they were split. And even sp spiritually, the Jews didn't let the Samaritans come to the temple. So they were like a half-breed Christian. And yet Jesus is making the Samaritan the hero of the story. That's like for us as Christians making the hero of the story an atheist or a Muslim or someone that's maybe the, the opposite political party of you and saying, no, oh, that's where it's at. And why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus make the Samaritan the hero of the story? He's saying it doesn't matter what kind of family you've been a part of. It doesn't matter what, where, where you've been in the past or what people say or what you think about them. What matters is right now if you're following me. He's saying what matters right now is where are you doing the actions of God, but even more importantly to Jesus, why I think he lifts up the Samaritan is because he sees the world the way that I see the world. Now, he does have these incredible actions, right? He stops. He bandages him. He puts him on his own donkey. And then so that means he has to walk. Then he leads him to an inn and he says, hey, I'm opening up a tab. He can stay here, I don't know if it's going to be a couple days or a couple months, but as long as he needs it, I'll pay it. He sacrificed big time. And I think Jesus is lifting that up, but I believe even more than that, Jesus is lifting up what caused that. You know, right there in verse 33, when it's talking about the Samaritan, when the Samaritan saw the guy on the side of the road, it says he stopped and he had compassion. He saw what the other two didn't see. He saw with different eyes than the other two saw. He saw with love and he saw with compassion. 
Now, why is Jesus lifting that up? Well, it's because he sees himself in this guy. If you remember in Matthew 9, Jesus has something similar when Jesus saw the crowds. You remember this verse? When Jesus saw the crowds in Matthew 9, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, the Samaritan saw, when the Samaritan saw the person on the side of the road, he had the same stuff inside of him that Jesus had in him when he saw the crowds. In the same way Jesus had compassion and saw with compassion, the Samaritan saw and had compassion. You guys following me? You know, this reminds me that it's not just our actions that need a change as we follow Jesus. It's our hearts in the way that we see people. There's a verse about this in 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul talks about this, where he says, you got to change the way you see the world. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. To which we can say, Amen. To which we can say, Amen. Amen. <laughs> So there's a different, there's a way you can view people from a worldly point of view. Have you realized that about yourself? You, You can be a baptized believer of Jesus and still see this world through the lens of what Satan wants you to see instead of what God wants you to see. You can see, still look at the world and just see the physical instead of seeing the spiritual. And he says, we, no, 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 we got to change. We got to go from a worldly point of view and now see creation, see this world through the new creation, through the kingdom, through Jesus. And that our, our vision needs to change. Has anyone here had that moment where you realize you needed glasses? Or you realize your vision, man, our vision's changed and I need some help and man, it's a little blurry. Have you been there? Or maybe has anyone been in that moment where you're like, man, uh, you're with some friends, man, how bad is your vision? Let me try on your glasses, right? So one of my friends, Jonathan, uh, back in campus, he, uh, he had really, really thick glasses. And he was like, no, guys, I have the worst vision of all time. We're like, oh, let's see, let's see. So we put on his, I put on his glasses. And it was like, I'm, I can't see anything. I'm drunk right now. You know, it was like, it was so bad. And then, and then. Our friend Trent was like, well, let me see, let me see. And so he, he puts on the glasses. And then we were in a food court. And Trent goes, I can read the menu now. <laughs> and we were like, what? And he's like, he looked out the window. He goes, guys, I can actually see the individual leaves. It's not just blurry. We were like, Trent, do you need glasses? <laughs> and then he literally, i never forget. He goes, I'm like a hawk. <laughs> we're like, you should go to the glasses store, bro. <laughs> But for some of us, the same thing needs to happen. We got to realize, man, have I been seeing the world from the wrong lens? Has my vision been flawed? Am I still seeing it from a worldly point of view instead of for how God sees it? When you see the world, do you see what the world sees or do you see what God sees? And that's the whole point of this message right here. We, we, last week, we talked about God's heart for humanity. Now we're going, we want to adopt that heart and see the world the way he wants us to see it. And the main practical for us is to pray. To pray that God will open the eyes of our heart like we just sang. And so that we can see the world the way that God sees the world. Amen? So if we go back to this verse, though, we, we realize that when, when our hearts change... 
And when we see the world differently, our actions also change. So we see that, right? You know, back in Luke 10, his actions were different. He's, the, the, the Samaritan saw the man of compassion, and then he had the actions that followed. He, he bandaged his wounds. He put him on the donkey. He took him to the inn. It's the same thing with Jesus, right? When he saw the crowds with compassion in Matt, the end of Matthew 9, the very next verse, he's saying, praying for workers, beginning in Matthew 10. You know, the next verse, he appoints workers, the 12, and then he sends them out. You see, Actions come from someplace. Actions come from your heart and the way that you see the world. There's this truth out there that private victory comes before public victory. And you know, if you've read the book, you know, from Stephen Covey about seven habits of highly effective people, he talks about this principle. But before you ever get to public victory, all of us want to see this world change for Jesus, don't we? We all want to see that. We want to see people thrive in Christ. We want to see the poor taken care of. We want to see marriages come back. We want to see the singles content. We want to see them. We want to see Jesus come into this world. The public victory has its place. But private victory has to come first. The private victory matters in one way most because doing the actions of mission won't last without embracing God's hearts for mission. Does that make sense? So all the actions you can do to, to serve the poor, to, to share your faith, to teach someone the scriptures and get in a Bible study, those actions are so important. They're so amazing. But you won't be able to last doing them. Maybe you can for a short period of time. But you won't be able to last for years and for decades on the mission unless the private victory, unless that personal inner victory that you've adopted the heart of God. I love this concept that the, the public victory, the public righteousness comes first from a private victory from private inner righteousness. Have you ever been at the place in your life before where you have felt trapped and kind of stuck in how you view mission and felt kind of stuck or apathetic about the actions of mission? Have you been there before? I know I have. The, the time where it hit me hardest was a couple years ago. I was studying the Bible with a friend, and uh, we were digging through the scriptures. He was really humble. He decided he wanted to make Jesus Lord of his life and get baptized. And uh, we, we had picked a date two weeks later, and uh, so his, his family could come and all that kind of stuff. And then he committed suicide. And that rocked me to my core. And I, I, in ministry, there's almost nothing that has affected me more and hurt me more than that moment right there. And I'm so grateful for my wife because I, I had all these questions. I, I had these deep questions of, God, why did you let that happen? What does that mean for this guy's soul? Was it my fault? Could I have said something different to stop him from doing that? And, and at that point, honestly, I went, What's the point in studying the Bible with people? Like, what's the point in teaching people scriptures if they're just going to go and do that? Like, that's where my heart was in that moment. And um, I was only looking at the actions. This is what I did. This is what he did. And that's all I was focused on. I wasn't connected to the heart of God at all. And I'm so grateful for my wife because Toya, she said, hey, babe, you need to take a long period of time and go process 
and go deal with this in God. Brothers, aren't we grateful for our wives that help us process? It was so great. She says, I'll take Cam. I'll even help cook some food, whatever. So you can go out. And so I went to the Chattahoochee River, found a secluded place. And man, I sat out there for hours and I wrestled. And I asked God my questions. And I made demands and concessions. And some of it was probably healthy, for some of it probably not. But God and I had a D-time. It was good. And God worked on my heart. And I walked away with two very simple concepts after that intense moment. I walked away, one, very simple but very profound for me in that moment, is that, hey, there's two parts. There's God's part and there's my part. I walked away going, I'm going to trust God with his part. God's the one that saves souls, not us. I'm going to trust him with that. Heaven and hell is real. But God's the one that decides, and he's on that judgment seat, not me. And I'm going to trust him with that. And I walked away trusting God. And the second one, my part was to love people. And, and I remember the Spirit is leading me time and time again to look at passages, how success for us as humans is to love humans, regardless of the, act, the, the outcome. That that success is love. And, and man, I walked away going, I'm, gonna, I'm going to just love people the way that God loves people. And if Jesus could love Judas for three years, knowing he was going to betray him and then commit suicide, then I want to love like that. And I walked away going, man, I'm going to trust God with his part, and I'm going to love people to my dying day. And that helped me connect again, not just with the actions about what's happened, but with the heart of God to embrace it. How about you? Have you gotten stuck in mission? Maybe it's not something that intense as what I just shared, but maybe, maybe you have been hurt by studying the Bible with someone that, that hurts your heart because they walk away. Who here has gotten hurt by someone walking away that I've been trying to help? So many of us, isn't it so hard to get back up and to continue after that moment? So many of us have been hurt by that. Maybe there's a period in your life where you're stuck now, but it's because there's a period in your life where you were more focused on the actions of mission without the heart of mission. And that burnt you out. And so now when you hear words like mission and evangelism and share your faith, you kind of, kind of twitch a little bit. But it's because what you remember, okay, I know some of you got, okay. <laughs> I know, but it's because there's a time in your life where you're focused more on the action than you were on the hearts. So we even designed this series in this way to say, hey, for a couple weeks, we're not talking about the action at all. We're talking about God's heart and embracing God's hearts. Because we want to build the right way. We want to build with God at the center of it, transforming us and let us take that into the world. But I want to encourage you. I want to inspire you. If you feel trapped in mission, if you feel apathetic, if you feel kind of like, yeah, it's not my thing, I implore you to embrace the heart of God. I implore you to see how God sees humanity and to pray and to surrender to see humanity the same exact way. Because not that we're just trying to get more action, but because we want God's heart in this world. We want to see the world of compassion the way that he sees the world. He's looking for men and women that love people like he does. He's looking for men and women that will see his children and love them and care for them and serve them and join him on his mission to save them and rescue them. Amen? we got to adopt his hearts. Don't get more focused on the actions than on the hearts. Amen? Now, if we're going to view uh, people the way that God views people, what I want to do with the rest of my time is I want to talk about three ways we can view people the way that God views people. Sound good? So the first one is what we've just been talking about. The first one is how do we see God, wait, how do we see what God sees in people? The first way is we're going to see them with compassion. We're going to have that same heart as the Samaritan. We're going to have that same heart as Jesus. And when we see people, we're going to see them with love first. Now, I, I don't know about you, but... 
the times when love goes out the window for me is when I'm in a hurry or when I'm in a rush. You know that moment where, you know, where you run into Starbucks and you're about to get a drink and you're, you're in a rush? That person in front of you isn't somebody to love. That person in front of you is, is the difference between you and your coffee, right? <laughs> like, it, when I'm in a rush, when I'm, that love can go out the window. And, and why is that? Well, it's because I'm, I can get so self-centered and this is my plan and this is what I'm trying to do and this is what's going to mean if I show up on time and what people are going to think about me if I don't and it's all me, 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 me in I, it's not even that I, don't, that I see someone and don't love them. I don't even see them. So first you have to take out the hurry enough to see people in order to love them. You know, Princeton did this study uh, in the 70s. And they took a class of, uh, of students that were studying for their master's in divinity. And, they, and they, uh, they, they did this study with them. And so what they did is they had each of them on one side of campus individually prepare a lesson on Luke 10, on this verse, on the Good Samaritan. And then they were going to go preach it in front of a group of teachers on the other side of campus. Now, they had a plant on the walkway across campus. They had a plant, someone there that was in distress on the side of the, the alley or the sidewalk. Someone that needed help. Someone that you, you would be able to help in that moment, right? And, and so what they did is they had them prepare a lesson, and then they had three different uh, categories of what amount of hurry they gave them. So one group of people, they called it a high hurry situation. And they said, they, they went to them and they said, hey, you're late. Like, you better leave now. They're waiting on you. They, they might even leave soon, so you better rush over there. And that was the high hurry situation. The second group was the medium hurry uh, group, and that was, hey, you're right on time. If you leave now, you'll make it right on time. They're, they're waiting for you, but you're good. You're not late. You better get over there now, though. And then the third group was the low hurry situation, which was, hey, uh, it's not going to start for a while yet, but you better go ahead and go. Uh, they might not even be there yet, but at least you'll be there when they arrive, and that's going to be kind of a good sign for you. So they had these three situations. And then all of them left, and they walked by this guy in, to go preach, right? So what do you think happened? <laughs> Only 10% of the high hurried situations, only 10% of the people that just prepared a lesson on stopping to love someone on the side of the road, only 10% of the, the high hurry situations that thought they were late stopped to help the person. On the way to go teach a lesson about stopping to help the person. <laughs> okay, we laughed. That would have been us too, you know? <laughs> And then, but then of the lower, of the low hurried where like, hey, there's no rush, most of them stopped. So the, the study came out and, and then what they, what the, the, the guys that were doing the study, the doctor said was, um, more important than knowing the scripture, more important than being tasked to lead people about the scripture, or to teach about the scripture, more important to that in our fast paced society is having the time to love. That if you don't have the time to love, you could quote this verse but you're not gonna love anybody if you don't make time for people in your life. Church, we gotta make the time to love people. We gotta learn to embrace the distractions and the interruptions like Jesus, that when we have an opportunity, we stop. And hopefully we've allowed space in our schedule to love, but there's those moments where even if it's gonna make us, us late, like Jesus ended up being late at different times, but if it means you get to love someone in the moment in the world of Jesus, that is worth it. We have to learn to see people, first and foremost, not as a distraction to what I'm trying to do, not, not as taking away from where I'm trying to get to, but see, actually see people and love them. Amen? Okay, so that's the first thing we can do, see people with compassion. 
The second thing that we can do is, um, is to see their spiritual need. To see their spiritual need. Now, th- this is the, the hardest time to see someone's spiritual need is when they seem like they don't need anything. When they've, when they've been really successful, right? And especially if they have something physically that you want, it's hard to believe that you have spiritually what they need. Are you following And yet, there's this sickness in the world. We just need to remember, right? There's this sickness of the world called sin. It's like a global pandemic. Have you heard about it? It's been around for thousands of years. It doesn't matter what level of mass or six feet, sin spreads. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's there. It's so, it's an epidemic. And it doesn't matter what you've achieved in this world. If you still have the sickness of sin, the answer, the cure for them is only one single person. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only cure. Every human on this planet needs Jesus. It doesn't matter where they're at. If they're still stuck in their sin, it doesn't matter how successful your boss is if their marriage is wrecked by sin. It doesn't matter how perfect of a house your neighbor has if they are wrecked by the sin of greed. It doesn't matter how great of a life that family down the street seems like they have and all their posts are perfect if Jesus isn't at the center of it. If you're single, it doesn't matter how that guy somehow managed to get lucky to get that girl if Jesus isn't at the center of their relationship. We have to remember, guys, don't be fooled by what Satan wants you to see. Don't have the worldly point of view to, to see what worldly success is. We need to see spiritual success. And if someone doesn't have Jesus, and they might not even know that they have a need. Weren't most of us there that we didn't even know that we needed something? And yet when someone showed us, it was like we found the greatest thing of all time in the kingdom of God. We need to see people's spiritual needs. Uh, to illustrate this, I want to introduce you to, to Michael Johnson. This, this is Michael Johnson. He played as the starting defensive end for the Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, does someone cheer for the Bengals? <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. Okay. I guess it's tough, to be, it's tough to be a Falcon. All right, I'm a Falcon. I love the Falcons. We need some prayer and fasting. All right. Michael Johnson. I had the privilege of studying the Bible with Michael Johnson. Uh, he left tech early to go pro, and he, he came back a couple years later in the offseason to get his degree. And so, so Michael Johnson is 6'7", he's 275, not a lick of fat on him. The first time I saw him, he was standing next to this five-foot flat girl. And so in that moment, I felt like David. I was like, it's Goliath. <laughs> and, 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 but I thought, if that dude becomes a Christian, He's going to help people become Christians. So honestly, first time I chickened out. Second time I saw him, I ran over to him and I went, hey, what's up, man? And, you know, I was kind of looking up and, uh, and then he looks down at me and I said, hey, look, man, I'm looking for guys that want to be leaders for Jesus and make a difference in the world around them. Do you want to be one of them? And he goes, yes, actually I would. I went, no way. I mean, that's cool, bro. <laughs> And so we start sitting down and getting in Bible studies and going through the word. And at different times, we're looking at challenging scriptures. I'll never forget one time he goes, Jordan, I could throw you through a wall. I went, yeah, you could, bro. And uh, so we're, we're, we're digging through it. But at one point he goes, you know what, Jordan? He was expressing some gratitude. And he was like, Jordan, I've gotten everything I've ever wanted in life. I'm, I'm, I'm a professional football player. I start I have multi-million dollar contracts in my 20s. In his, in his world, it was, I'm invited, I, I can get any girl, I can go to whatever party, whatever I want, I get. And yet he said, during, even during the game, 
when, when offense is on the field and I'm waiting to go back on the field for defense, during the game when I'm on the side, I sit there and I think about how empty my life is. And how even though I've gotten everything I ever wanted, because I don't have Jesus, I'm empty. Let that be a reminder for all of us. Well, yes, there's nothing wrong with worldly wealth in and of itself. We need to use our worldly wealth to gain friends and influence people for the kingdom of God. Even, even the Samaritan had enough money to open up a tab for this guy. There's n- but worldly wealth isn't the goal. It's not going to fill you. It's not going to sustain you. It's not going to be what you go to bed at night feeling like you've made it in life. At the end of the day, the only thing that's a cure for your sin that's going to lead you to eternal life is Jesus. And it's up to us to help people see that. That Jesus is looking to, to adopt people into his kingdom so they can live out about what it truly means to be a human in the kingdom of God. Amen? The last thing that I'll briefly talk about, we need to see uh, them with compassion. We need to see their spiritual need. And then we need to see their, spir- their potential in Christ. We need to see their potential in Christ. Um, this is where we have to remember, guys, it's good news, not bad news. I think a lot of times we can share it like it's not the greatest thing of all time. Like we can share it like it's like, hey, if you want to just potentially, you know, if you can make it in your schedule, it's not really going to help you very much. But if you wanted to, like, instead of going, this is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. When we meet somebody and invite them to church or ask them to get in a Bible study or we serve them and befriend them to love them in the kingdom of God, the first time they meet the kingdom of God in you is the greatest day of their life. Because it's their first real opportunity to find Jesus. You got to see their potential. I'm so grateful for the guys in my life, for Bradson Henry, for Marcus Austin and Alex Jackson, when I was a knucklehead college student. And they, they saw me, when they saw me, they saw an arrogant, immoral, self-centered, selfishly ambitious man. And even though that's what they saw, they saw how, even though the world was having its way with me, they saw the potential in me. And they saw what life to the full could look like in me. And how life with Jesus could change me. They, they, they saw a guy that was a drug addict that was uh, just addicted to parties and all that kind of stuff. And some, for somehow, some way, they saw that, you, that I would be able to help lead other people to Christ. And that I had gifts that God could use. Every, God has given so many gifts to every single human on this planet. And they just need someone to believe in them of what God could do with them. And, and ultimately, it's how they can serve. But it, even more than that, it's, man, how great of a life you could have in the kingdom of God. And I, I want you to have life to the full. Let's see people not for just what sin has ravaged them in, but what God's healing power could do in them. Amen? So, guys, I, I, I'm praying that this week that it's helpful. You know, we even designed the series, like I said, to focus on our hearts first. Where we can see God's heart for humanity, but then we can adopt it as our own. And we can learn to see people the way that God sees people. And I pray that we can see people with love and compassion first and foremost. Where we, where we can have the time to love them and not how their distraction, but how we can love them. I pray that we can see their spiritual need and that we, that we have the cure. We have the great cure of the, sin, the, 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 the sickness of sin. And that we also can see their potential. And I want to encourage all of you to pray this week. Pray for God to open your eyes. And whether it's your coworkers or your neighbors or your, your friends, to see what God sees. That's someone God already loves and someone for us to love. We know that all this is only possible because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It's the only reason we ever have a hope or even matters of the mission in the first place because he had the great mission to rescue us. So right now, we're going to have a moment uh, to, to celebrate communion where we're going to have the bread and the wine. If you're new to Christianity, the bread represents the body of Christ. The juice represents the blood of Jesus. And when this is a moment where we get to remember Jesus, and I want to encourage you to remember how God views humanity during this time and to say a prayer for you to be able to adopt the same thing. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for the greatest rescue plan of all time to rescue mankind to you. God, I pray just a prayer of gratitude for that you love us, that you, that you see us, that we got this sickness, but you have an answer for us in Jesus. And God, thank you for seeing potential in us and giving us gifts to love and to serve. Father, I do pray that we can have the same hearts because we know first and foremost that it's all from Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Thank you for this moment right now where we can remember Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.